Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George and Thank you to our very special Thursday show. Love having in-studio audience on Thursdays and thanks for joining us. I'm going to do a little longer introduction to today's show than normal uh, because I missed the last couple of days and also because I want to mention a couple of things of importance. One is that, yes, I do realize that today is the one-year anniversary of he who occupies the residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and I could happily give a several-hour commentary on my report card on the one-year, first-year anniversary uh, of President Biden, but I'm going to save that for Monday. I will do that Monday. I can hardly wait to do that. Uh, Second, I want to mention that really for the whole last year, this show has focused on every day. I look at the top stories in the news and try to decide what to talk about. And honestly, what seems to jump to the surface almost every time are the same four topics or the latest developments on those topics. One is election fraud, uh, a still ongoing issue. Another is border security or the complete lack thereof. Another is COVID, you know, the source of it, the danger, the medications, the vaccine mandates, the vaccine passports. All those issues have occupied a great deal of time in this show. And the last one's kind of a broad category. I call it Marxism in America, or basically watching our country lose our freedom. Those four big issues have dominated the show, and I think they needed to dominate the show. But we didn't, I think, really in the last year, maybe longer, touch on a topic that used to occupy a great deal of time on this show, uh, and that was uh, Islamization or the uh, or jihad or uh, just the conduct of people committed to jihad around the world. When we had a lot of terror attacks happening, of course, we report on those and try to explain more and more um, about what was motivating the jihadists to conduct uh, the, the horrific acts that they did. I want to quickly remind you about three books. If you don't have them, I encourage you to get them and read them because today we have a wonderful guest joining us. I'll introduce him in a moment, but we're going to be talking about what happened here in Texas uh, this past Saturday, January 15th. There was an attack um, at a Jewish synagogue here in Dallas or just outside of Dallas in Colleyville uh, by a jihadist. And I want to talk about we're going to talk about that and, and many related stories. But the thing I want to do in this introduction is to try to make clear, if you look at every single incident of jihad around the world, it, whether it's in America or anywhere else, and you look at who is a person, why did he do this, and then try to keep that kind of an analyzer, sterile little silo, and then turn to the next incident, you're missing the bigger picture of what is occurring. And it matters not just to understand why these kind of things occur, but what is motivating them, what is the ideology, because when you understand that ideology, you then are more able to engage in responsible and effective steps to try to counter it. So three books I want to mention. One is by the gentleman who is our guest here today. Um, I'll, I'll just point on this side. All these books I'm holding up here, they have stickies. This is my organizing system. I've interviewed all these authors. So I have this, as I was digging them off my bookshelf this morning, I realized they still have the stickies in them. So this one's called Islam's Deception, The Truth About Sharia by our guest today, John Guandolo. Uh, and it's just a fabulous book. In fact, I'm going to quote from it, I think, during the show today. But a great explanation of what Sharia is, uh, which is Islamic law, and I'll leave it at that at this moment. Uh, The next one I want to briefly introduce you or remind you about, and I've had this guest on my show too, this is a woman who lives in the country of Austria, and her name is Elizabeth Sabatich-Wolf, and she wrote a book called The Truth is No Defense. And what she's talking about in her book is that in Western Europe, it has become 
impossible for citizens to speak truthfully about the danger of some of the teachings of Islam. This woman, all she did were public presentations in her country, in Austria, about actual teachings of Islam, the actual actions of Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and she was criminally prosecuted, and that case went all the way to the highest, not just the highest court in the country of Austria, all the way to the highest European court above that country's court, and all of them confirmed her criminal conviction for saying things that were true. And this is this is one of the things I hope we get to talking about today, is one of the longer-term goals of Islam is to silence people who would dare to question uh, any of the teachings of Islam. And the last book I want to mention before we start, again, I want to put today's conversation in a bigger context and encourage people listening to think about the consequence of not just this most late, uh, latest and isolated uh, incident, not isolated incident in Colleyville at the synagogue, but this is a book, and this expert I've had on my show numerous times too. The book is called Sword and Scimitar. S-C-I-M-I-T-A-R, Scimitar. The author is Raymond Ibrahim. This is what the book looks like. And again, got the stickies. The preview is on my show many times. But what he did in this book, I could not urge you strongly enough, even if you don't think you read a book that's this thick, buy the book and just read the table of contents. Because it just his entire point in this book is this. Since the founding of Islam, since the founding of Islam by Muhammad back in 600-something A.D., Islam itself, the teachings of Muhammad, what is written down in what became the Quran, what is written down by other, in other unquestionable, holy Islamic, in their view, holy Islamic teachings and doctrines, is an absolute duty of people who are loyal to Islam to, to engage in jihad, holy war, to not simply peacefully spread their religion, but to spread Islam by force. And what his book does, it runs through historical periods from the very founding of Islam up until today. It is historical documents. The author actually can read and write Arabic. Um, he's an English speaker, obviously, but read and write Arabic. He, he translated original documents, making the point that since the founding of Islam in 632 AD, the religion has had followers who are absolutely committed to spreading forced conversion to Islam all over the world, and he recounts dates, events, countries, battles, leaders, and I bring it all up today to say, as we launch now, finally introduce my guest in just a moment, but to say it's really important to understand if you get hung up on one particular issue or one particular incident, you'll miss the larger picture and the larger significance of what occurred here in Colleyville, Texas on January 15th. It's not isolated, it's one long-term thing. So with that, I'm gonna turn and introduce you to our guest, John Guandolo. He has joined us on the show numerous times. Um, he's a 1989 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, and he, after that, he took a commission as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. He has a very long resume. I could read a lot of it, but I, I taking enough time in the introduction, but I want to tell you the things that matter about his resume to what we're going to be talking about today. 
Um, he did serve in the Naval Academy. I mean, attended Naval Academy, did serve in the Marines. Uh, he's a combat diver, milita military freefall parachutist, uh, a graduate of the U.S. Army uh, Ranger School. Um, after leaving the Marine Corps, he began working with the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, in Washington office. Um, but what is relevant to today, shortly after 9-11, the attack in America of 9-11, Jean Guandola began an assignment to the Counterterrorism Division of the FBI's Washington field office, developing an expertise, developing an expertise in the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic doctrine, the global Islamic movement, and terrorist organizations, including Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and others. In 2006, he was designated as a subject matter expert by FBI headquarters, and he created and implemented the FBI's first counterterrorism training program focused on the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic doctrine, and the global Islamic movement. He also was recruited out of the FBI by the Department of Defense to conduct strategic analysis on the global Islamic movement. And I want to take the time for that detailed instruction or detailed introduction because what we're going to talk about today is so serious, so serious, not just this one incident, but the long-term implications of what he's come to understand about Islamic doctrine. And with all that lengthy introduction, please help me welcome to the show, John Guandolo. Thank you. Is that the longest introduction you ever got, you think? <laughs> Some people have actually read the entire thing, so that's ridiculous, but it happens. But I really appreciate it, and I love the fact that you actually look at this from the uh, 50,000 foot level, but you also understand it at the ground level, which is unique for most people doing what you do. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Well, you put a piece out. Your website is understandingthethreat.com. And one piece you have out on that, I, I mentioned before we start, I want to just read the opening sentence and let you expand on or expound on what you wrote. But the opening sentence says, the jihadi attack in Colleyville, Texas in Tarrant County on the congregation in Beth Israel Synagogue during services on Saturday. And again, we're talking we're here, we're talking, you know, five days ago here in Texas. And, and the Saturday services, the Jewish Sabbath, was not merely a hostage situation that ended well. It was part of a U.S. Islamic movement, strategic operation that is ongoing. What are you talking about? Well, you've got uh, years uh, decades, but especially in the last several years, a real uptick in the strategic implementation by the U.S. Islamic movement, which includes the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood, but also includes a number of parallel Islamic movements, groups, organizations uh, that is directly tied uh, to the government of Turkey because the Turkish Muslim Brotherhood, under the direction of Erdogan, now uh, has the reins in the United States for the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. You've got Pakistan directly involved uh, in this effort through the fact that they are directly participating in, supporting, and strategizing with senior Muslim Brotherhood leaders in North America of the, the free Afia Siddiqui, the Al-Qaeda woman who was indicted and convicted by the United States, um, that movement and that effort. And that effort is not a standalone effort. Just like when they use uh, the cause of, of what they call Palestine or other things that they rally around, they, that event or that issue isn't the issue. It, is, it has a much bigger strategic angle. So when you look at working the way up to Saturday, when this jihadi 
who comes from a family who the father is involved with Tablighi Jamaat, which is a an Islamic movement. He's involved with Tablighi Jamaat. Is this in he, the UK? In the UK, right? He's a Pakistani. Uh, heritage living in the UK in an area of the UK that has a heavy Pakistani population. He was under the watchful eye of MI5, who is so incompetent that they looked at him and said, no problem, no threat here, just like uh, our government does on frequently. And he comes over here two weeks ago, goes to a specific synagogue in Colleyville, Texas on the Sabbath during service. Does that sound coincidental? When we pause for a minute back up to last summer and between last summer and Saturday, you had the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood's Islamic Society in North America, Hamas doing business as a Council on American Islamic Relations, the Muslim American Society, you know, the local mosques here in Plano, Texas, in Colleyville and others as well as the Pakistani government, the Pakistani consulate in Houston, Texas, advocating to free this Al-Qaeda uh, convict, jihadi, Afia Siddiqui. And they've had rallies in Boston, in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Houston, where senior Muslim Brotherhood leaders, including one of the most senior Muslim Brotherhood leaders, Yasser Qadi, who just happens to be at the East Plano uh, Islamic Center in Plano, Texas, which is one of the places they had one of these rallies with the director of Hamas doing business as care in Texas. And you look at that flow and then someone shows up at this mosque and calls for the exact same thing. Now, I would just ask somebody, you don't have to have uh, decades of an understanding of national security or the Islamic movement to look at that and say, well, that doesn't seem coincidental. And all of the evidence and intelligence we have points that it was not. This is a very well-coordinated effort. And the last thing I'll say, and then let you kind of drive the train where you want to go with this is, what do we see? Who's the target here? A uh, very hard left rabbi. And yep. yeah, very hard left rabbi, very engaged in the interfaith outreach movement, which is controlled by the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood, operating with local Islamic centers that are hostile, that are jihadi mosques in Colleyville, in South Lake, in Plano. And so that's the softening of the ground. Then this incident happens. As soon as the incident's over, you have jihadis, on TV in nice clothes, talking very nicely about what a wonderful man this this uh, rabbi is, how incredibly wonderful he is, how great the outreach is, and how important outreach is. So that uh, that's the kind of thing we have going. And when you look at the plowing of the field up here in this area, Plano, Frisco, uh, Colleyville, Dallas, these efforts between Christian leaders and the jihadi community, Jewish leaders and the jihadi community. This is what it produces, but the, the violent act is not the point. The whole point of this thing is to do something that has a much larger effect in their strategic effort here, which is to uh, broaden the interfaith effort and outreach efforts to law enforcement, to the media, to political groups, to the uh, financial sector, the business sector, and all this. So. 
This is a very deep issue. And if we just assume this is one thing that just happened, he got killed, hostages are safe, everybody high five, which is what I see happening. And I see even conservative talk show hosts calling him a lunatic, a radical fundamentalist, whatever that means, because those words have no meaning. Then we've missed the whole ballgame. Okay, you know, you said you were saying a moment ago what direction I want to go. There are about a hundred, and I want to try to break things down really for our listeners because I will say I was, I was sitting here listening to what you're saying, and I've had medical doctors on the show, and I asked some question about COVID or some aspect of some treatment, and I'm realizing they are so immersed in what they understand, and they run through an explanation of well, this is how this works, and this happens, and I'm and I'm wondering how many people are following them. So I want to break down some of the things you okay. were just going through, and it really is because I, this. Is compliment to you because you're so well informed and so immersed in understanding it and I think that my goal among many in this show is to have more people understand things that in a deeper way that you do and, and so they, they see things in the future through this different lens so starting your, your point about Afia, Afia Siddiqui is that it uh, the woman who is uh, you know just because she fired a rifle at American troops, that they finally uh, locked her up. But in any case, she was she's an Al Qaeda, was an Al Qaeda person, a terrorist. She's in prison here in America. And your point is, when this guy invaded this mosque, uh, excuse me, this synagogue in Colleyville, and uh, was saying he d was demanding her release, he wasn't just personally attached to her. He was following the instructions and the mission that had been launched off by people. Around, uh, around, actually in the UK and in America, it was a, I understand it wasn't the ultimate goal he really wanted, but he was acting in accordance with a mission being set, set uh, ro rolling along, being set by jihadist leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood. Is that in the ballpark of accurate? Yes. Okay. So, let, so let's, if we can, let, let me spend 30 seconds or so on Afia Siddiqui. This is a woman who was caught by the Afghan National Police Yep. And when they searched her person, she had plans for making uh, traditional explosives, chemical, biological, radiological explosives. She had glass containers of gels and liquids. Uh, she had uh, lists of landmarks in the United States, military assets and targets. And when they uh, held her at the Afghan uh, facility, when the U.S. military and FBI went to or interview her, for whatever reason, I think it was obviously poorly handled, the fact that she was not handcuffed, uh, but I've seen that over there in Afghanistan. Uh, she grabbed an M4 rifle and tried to shoot them. Well, she was prevented from doing it, but she got a couple rounds off. So it's not that, oh, she just tried to shoot at some people and that's why she's in jail. There is much more to that. She was indicted and convicted of numerous charges related to this. In America, she's in prison here in Texas. Yes. Yep. Okay. And here's the point. The Council on American-Islamic Relations, which is a Hamas organization, you can go to understandandthreat.com, click Karis Hamas, and look at all that there. They're out defending her. The U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations, which claims to be the first Muslim political organization, which is the umbrella organization for the biggest Muslim organizations in America are all defending her, like many Democrat leaders are defending her, like many of these Marxist organizations are defending her. And you have to ask, why? Why are you doing that? Well, because they're jihadis, that's why they're doing it. And they, but, but there is a broader picture here. And, and the last thing I'll say is this, all, I wanna be very clear, all of the prominent Islamic organizations in America are a part of this hostile Islamic movement. 
whose stated objective, stated objective, is to overthrow the U.S. government and in, implement an Islamic State here in the United States. And you don't have to believe they can do it. The fact is they're working towards it every day, which is a violation of federal law. It is, in fact, a violation of Texas law. It is a violation of our Constitution. And anybody that's taken an oath has an obligation to shut these, this entire movement down. Yet, as we sit here, even after this jihadi attack, Texas, which has more jihadi attacks than any state in the United States since 9-11, Nobody, not Texas DPS, not the FBI, is investigating the network. None of them. Well, that's one thing I want to get at about this network. And I want to talk about brief about the idea of civilization jihad also. But, you know, we have in this country, we have in Washington, people who are pushing the idea that there's a, a massive problem with white supremacism in America. And I'm making the analogy just to say, when there is an, uh, any kind of conduct that people all of us deplore someone who actually believes in white supremacism, which I'm going to say is well under, it's way under 1% of Americans, a tiny, minute proportion of Americans. But we all understand the concept that someone who's a white supremacist in, you know, uh, Dover, Delaware, and someone who's a white supremacist in Anaheim or any other place in the country, they don't have to have sat down, studied together, made a plan, agreed to, it's the ideology driving them that we are calling evil. And we're able to see that in the context of, of white supremacism, that this is unacceptable, whether you know each other, you made a plan, you didn't make a plan, you're driven by an ideology. And I, and I make that because I think that with um, the idea that what this jihadist did in this ma in this I keep saying ma so sorry this jihadist did in this synagogue uh, in Texas he's driven by ideology he's driven by the ideology that tells him jihad is what he's supposed to be able, supposed to do so this is a violent thing like the thing I was mentioning uh, all the battles that are that you had Raymond Ibrahim run through in his book Sword and, of, and Scimitar so that's violent acts, forcing, uh, his effort was, was a violent thing. But the, but what you're describing, all this kind of under the radar um, uh, to many Americans, you know, this effort to free, uh, I can't keep her name straight, Afia Siddiqui, yeah, free her uh, and, and have her be some kind of cause celeb. It is a, it, it is a, a jihad of a different kind. It is an undermining of America. It is a, and I want you to talk about, I mean, I, I use the expression civilization jihad. I know you know that term. You just talk about what that means and how it relates to the kind of violent jihad. Sure. So just like what we see with the, with the, the communist movement, where the, the violence that we see from the Chinese communist organization, Black Lives Matter, or Antifa, uh, that is not the point. So the violence isn't the point. The violence is done to move forward the much bigger 90% of their entire effort in the nonviolent realm. It's the same in the Islamic movement. It really is Mao's political warfare model where it is total societal warfare. It's economic warfare, it's counterintelligence, it's espionage, it's economic warfare, it's, it's undermining of the founding principles through seizing the economic system. It is uh, violence, uh, military, it's nuclear, it's conventional warfare. It is the entire thing. And so when you see these uh, acts of jihad, uh, they have a purpose, um, but the broader movement in the United States, North America, uh, and Europe especially, is the nonviolent part, 
If you look at Congress today, it is complete. You have over 100 members of Congress have written letters in direct support of Hamas doing businesses care. That's unreal. You have a White House where I can tell you from an intelligence perspective, everything Joe Biden was saying about this event in Texas, yeah. the Muslim Brotherhood uh, representatives inside the administration were writing it, approving it, and giving it. Think about that. It is much worse now than it was during Mr. Obama's administration uh, with the Muslim Brotherhood literally running the show. So um, that is how they do it. The interesting thing, I think the gravely dangerous thing about this reveals the incompetence and I would have to say the, uh, the treasonous nature of our government entities like FBI, DHS, uh, CIA, State Department is all of these, the evidence is on the table about these organizations, who they are and what they're doing. And yet they're allowed to remain open as we sit here today. You know, that's one thing I do want to be sure in this. We have five minutes before we go to a break for our radio listeners. I want to hone in on that one fact. It's one of those things where I have read your writing and talked with you many times and, and read a lot of books about this. But just a simple concept that care, which people like to think, and they call themselves a civil rights organization, the Council on American Islamic Relations, C-A-I-R, and people think it's a great organization because they're trying to build bridges of understanding and they're civil rights organization, blah, blah, blah. So CARE, I'm going to just touch on this and let you expand on it, but CARE was founded by, and I mean, you, uh, first of all, for our listeners, you need to go to John's website, understandingthethreat.com, and read this one document that you can find on the website. CARE is still Hamas. CARE is still Hamas. But understanding how, why we would equate CARE, which says they're a civil rights organization, to Hamas, which everyone knows is a terror organization. And I have highlights, I could read like five paragraphs, but why, just get to that point, why is it fair to call CARE a Hamas organization? Because CARE was established as one of the four Hamas organizations created by the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine Committee. Yes. Uh, and the Palestine Committee is Hamas. So on the orders of the International Muslim Brotherhood back in the uh, 90s, early 90s, uh, every country where the Muslim Brotherhood had a presence created a Palestine Committee to be nodes for Hamas. And the U.S. Um, uh, Muslim Brotherhood created the U.S. Palestine Committee, Hamas. And out of that, they created four organizations. One, the last one in 1994 created was CARE. Uh, one of the first three was the Holy Land Foundation, which was right here in Richardson, Texas, which just by happenstance was the largest Islamic charity in America and was a terrorist front group. So this is, there's the quick download on that. Why I like that and why it matters a lot to people who don't follow this issue very much is because right after, for example, this attack occurred in Colleyville at the synagogue, you know, CARE was out denouncing this is horrible and we're reaching out and we're trying to support the synagogue and support all these people. But I want people, to, I, this, I mean, because I think this helps people, it helps you change your perspective and understand what is occurring. John just mentioned that in 1994, that Muslim Brotherhood Palestine Committee 
which was created by Hamas at the point of saying to, to get Hamas on the ground in various countries, created the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CAIR. There's a great thing that occurred. I mean, this isn't just speculation or, um, you know, this is grounded in fact. 1993, the leaders of the Palestine Committee met, and uh, this, which is Hamas in America, uh, met in Philadelphia. Uh, they actually had um, FBI counterterrorism assistant director stated. He's there and they're recording things. The FBI had uh, physical surveillance microphones in the room and basically said all attendees of this meeting who are sitting there cooking up care are Hamas members and the care founders are Hamas members. And I know these kind of things to people who don't pay attention to this issue very much. It is it changes everything about what you perceive as the effort in America, how you what you believe to be true, what you think when CARE says things, why you believe that to be true. Um, and I will tell you one other thing that during this prosecution that finally occurred at the Holy Land Foundation in America, uh, there, the, um, the CARE was... Uh, so Hamas is obviously a terror organization. Um, U.S. prosecutors for the Department of Justice identified CARE as a member of the Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine Committee and as an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation case. And they wanted to get out of that designation and say, you know, that's not us. You know, we shouldn't be called that. We shouldn't be called part of Hamas. And the judge said, no, actually, there's been plenty of evidence presented. The court said plenty of evidence, a wide array of testimonial and documentary evidence expressed linking care and its founders to Holy Land and its principles, ending up basically saying yes, that they could not get themselves out of being designated as an unindicted co-conspirator in this prosecution of an organization that is funding terrorism, Hamas organization. And I know that's lengthy and there are a lot of names. I used to shrink from trying to even keep all this straight. But if you take away nothing else, as we're heading off to our break for our radio listeners, if you take nothing else from this conversation, go to the website, understandingthethreat.com, read the document, and it has footnotes. It's right there for you to see. Care is still Hamas. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you're listening to this on radio and you don't know what this show is, go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, and you can hear all about the show. You can read our, you can read past interviews and come back in three minutes. Okay, so now we're continuing. Everybody else online who's listening to the show? Yeah. <laughs> and I want to I just want to rock and roll right along. We'll watch for our radio listeners to come back. So, CARE is a terror is a Hamas terrorist organization. They're in America. They're here trying to excuse or in some other way just oh well you know the guy was he's a nutcase. So explain why the guy who is uh, did this attack at the synagogue in Colleyville, you know beyond his uh, stated reason for going after the, trying to get this woman freed. What is the, the big mission he's after? I mean, they're, they're sending him over to do these. What's the big mission he's, he's doing in America, his point of being there? So uh, this whole effort of free uh, Afia Siddiqui helps them, again, if we remember that the focal point of everything they're doing is to control the narrative in this entire war. That's the focal point. So the Boston Marathon bombing, the bombing was not the point. The bombing instills terror in order to achieve the bigger uh, message. The uh, Garland, Texas attack at the uh, Draw Muhammad cartoon, the point was to show that 
it is a violation of normative and universally taught Islamic law to say anything about Islam that a Muslim would dislike. And so we're going to come there and do this. In this case, they are pushing forward this narrative of anything that, that stands in the way of the implement, implementation of Sharia, according to Islamic law, is oppressive to Muslims. So anyone that gets in the way of the Islamic community uh, imposing Sharia is an oppressor. So we saw it when uh, uh, um, uh, Yakim Israel uh, sawed off Colleen Hufford's head right up there in Moore, Oklahoma in the workplace because he's a Muslim and that's what they do because they're jihadis. And what, what did he say to the investigators? Well, he said, you're oppressing me and therefore, I have the right to do these things. And he's right. According to Islamic law, he's not wrong. As a matter of fact, I just had a discussion last night with a, a, a gentleman that's uh, heavily involved in some national security things. And I said that Al-Qaeda and ISIS in their writings and their publications have never once been wrong about what they say the requirements of Islam are. What they teach, and by the way, they have tafsir classes and Quran classes and Sharia classes and Hadith classes when they're out in the field, when they're not fighting. Why? Because that's the whole reason they're fighting. This is normative uh, and universally taught Islamic law. So when this guy calls for the freeing of Afiya Siddiqui, he's doing that for the broader purpose of um, gaining support for the Islamic movement to show America is unjust. Let that, me jump in and say welcome back to our radio listeners. We still have with us John Guandolo, an extraordinary expert on the subject of Islam, Islamic doctrine, the Muslim Brotherhood, and their conduct in America. And we're focusing it today on the uh, attack that occurred at this Colleyville synagogue just just uh, five days ago. Well, one thing you, I, I want to get to this bill that that uh, the House put through, uh, this anti-Islamophobia bill, as it fits in with your whole point, or your the whole conversation here. But before I do, I want to get, again mention to our listeners, this is a really good thing to read and understand. Simple short book, Islam, Deception, Truth About Sharia. Because I think for many people, you know, good Christians know we love our Christian doctrine, we love the Bible, we love the Gospels, we love the... And, and so we share it lovingly, and, and we would love to have other people embrace Christianity. But it's a whole different concept with Sharia, and you're, you've, you've been talking about it a little bit, but just if you would talk about the idea of what Sharia, what, what the point of the people pushing Sharia and, find, and finding offense at living in our country because they don't have Sharia. I mean, I, I want to talk about the importance of Sharia in, as, as, as a center of Islam. But, okay, wait. so let's, let me just make three quick points. Number one, Islam says the purpose of Islam is to impose Allah's divine law, Sharia, on every human on earth through all means. That's it. You will not find another purpose of Islam anywhere in authoritative published Islamic doctrine. And I would encourage people to know that right here in Dallas, in Plano, in Colleyville, at the Islamic schools, that's what they teach. They teach that jihad, warfare against the non-Muslim community, is an obligation until the entire world is under Sharia, because that's the whole purpose of Islam. And warfare can mean physical warfare, violent warfare, it can mean capturing uh, some hostages at a, a synagogue, and it can mean the civilizational undermining. That's right. of, so, so it's a multifaceted, but it's all part of jihad. 
That's right. And at the center of Islam uh, is deception. So you gain as much ground with as, as go as far as you can go while never turning your hand to them. In, in other words, not letting them understand what it is you're doing. And so, uh, you know, Islam says that, you know, the non-Muslim, 98.6 in the Quran, but it's certainly all over uh, Islamic law, that, that the non-Muslim world, they're the, they're the worst of all creatures. So, of course, you can lie to them. Of course, if you need to, you can kill them as long as it's pursuant to Islamic law. And um, th the deception is the key. So the whole, all the whole outreach, Islam says you can only do outreach to other people if it benefits Islam. It's not so the two mix and mingle, it's so you bring them over to Islam or at least give them the opportunity to, to, Islam, to come to Islam, which is the dawah, which is the calling people to Islam. And dawah, calling people to Islam, is obligatory before you can wage jihad. So that's, it's all intermixed like that. And if there are listeners or viewers out there saying, well, I know my, that can't be true because my, you, I don't care. I don't care what your friend who's a Muslim says. They, there are people out there who, who say, I'm a Muslim and I don't want and they're being sincere and I don't want to wage war. I don't want to do any of these things. That's great. But that's not what Islam teaches. And what you have right now is a time in history, like other times in history, when the Muslim community has the resources, the financial ability, and the momentum to advance the cause, and Sharia requires them to wage war when they have when that those conditions exist, and that's what they're doing on every continent right now. You know what you're describing about what Islam teaches. I think many people are familiar with the uh, somewhat with Muhammad's founding of it, and there was a lot of aggression at that time. It was his followers uh, while he was alive, and then after he was gone, too, uh, pushing jihad as a, a kind of a for, you're go, forced conversion, forced uh, and and so. But we, what you're describing as something a modern person living in planet Earth in 2022, in the, this year 2022, would still think that this is possible, that the world can be brought under submission uh, to Islam, the, that Sharia can be imposed in the entire world. It sounds preposterous because of the size of the world, the many religions, the you know, countries that are committed to freedom of the people and freedom of religion. So it sounds preposterous, but I, what I, what I very helpful in, in making it believable is, among many things, is you're describing this is taught in Islamic schools in America today. And, and just talk about that in a minute, I mean, if you would, about how widely is this taught in Islamic schools and how in, in America? Is so let's start with this. Uh, under Islamic law, it is a capital crime under the law of apostasy. It's a capital crime for a Muslim to teach another Muslim anything about Islam that's not true. So when I ask the question of government officials, how is it that what we look at in Islamic school books that we have from Europe, from Africa, from Asia, and right here in Texas and around the United States, those textbooks all say the exact same thing. These are the requirements of Islam. And how is it that what they teach 10-year-olds right here in Dallas, Texas, at these mosques and Islamic schools, is exactly the opposite of what Islamic leaders are telling our government officials about Islam? So somebody's being lied to. So either 
the Islamic leaders are lying to our government officials or Muslim teachers and scholars are lying to Islamic Muslim children. And since it's a capital crime for them to do that, and it's obligatory for Muslims to lie to non-Muslims if it advances Islam, I'm gonna go ahead and say they have been lying consistently and openly, just like those people were on TV after the Colleyville, talking about how great the, uh, how much they love that rabbi. Well, those are people that are Sharia adherent Muslims. And so the doctrine says, Jews must be hated and despised, and they must be holocausted for the Muslim community to go to paradise. So either they're lying or they're saying that their own doctrine is wrong. And since that's a capital crime, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not what it is. Okay, so back to this, this um, event that occurred in um, Colleyville at this synagogue. I did read right away, in fact, a little private chain I'm on and uh, one, uh, was talking some guy just who was a, a Jewish guy in Dallas that I tried attending this, this synagogue and this is one of these rabbis who calls Israel an apartheid state he's a leftist he's just and he couldn't stand uh, worshiping at this um, this Jewish friend of mine couldn't at, at that particular synagogue so what is the strategy again that this terrorist would choose a left-wing uh, I mean, you, you, why, why would he choose the left-wing synagogue to commit this attack? Well, so I think you should should ask a couple questions. Why were the hostages let go? Uh, that's a question that nobody has answered. And I had actually said before that all happened, it would not surprise me because as soon as this story had immediate worldwide, don't think that was accidental, immediate worldwide attention that... The hostage. Now, you could say, well, the hostages, they threw a chair and they ran out. Yeah, yeah. He could have shot them. Um, that's not, but okay, let's just say they got out. But the point is, that's again, not the point. What was the point of what he was doing? It was to advance a narrative that Afia Siddiqui is being unjustly held, which then can be used as a battle cry to bring the, all of these outreach efforts together because what they are doing is they are literally splitting just like the communists do splitting America and dividing to create chaos which is what the communists do and when the chaos comes the communists and or the jihadis will step in and they will restore order that's that's the this is the direction this whole thing goes to and each of these narratives whether it's January 6th was an insurrection to overthrow the government, even though there's no evidence of that. Um, or it's that, you know, masks actually work to stop influenza yeah. and lockdowns, which is not true. Uh, no evidence of that. But it doesn't matter what the story is or that Afia Siddiqui is being unjustly held because this is not a new call. We can go back 10 years into Boston, where the imam up there at the uh, affiliated with the Islamic Society of Boston, the Muslim Brotherhood Group, you know, says, we have to free our sister Afia Siddiqui. And your duty is you pick up the shovel, you pick up the gun, you pick up the knife, and you do your duty. And so it's this increasing call for the violent jihad, the increasing separation, right, separating the Jewish community separating the Christian community, separating in the, in the world. Tell me one place today where there's not conflict. Families are in conflict over this. Spouses who are defending Black Lives Matter and saying they're communists. I mean, this is the, this is the whole 
grand strategy. Mass- and this is just one narrative in that. It's like a massive psyops, a massive, yeah. That's exactly what okay. it is. Okay, so back to this mosque. The, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, back to the synagogue, this rabbi who's a big lib, and he is part of the whole effort to try to you know, bring understanding with the Islamic community and the Jewish community. I mean, he's going to leave this incident. You would think you'd leave this incident saying, geez, you know, that was, that was pretty rough. But on the other hand, he may leave it even more inspired to say, well, look at, you know, this, this has been a horrible incident. It has defamed or caused people to misunderstand the Muslim community in America. I'm going to double down my efforts to, 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 you know, grow this understanding between the Jewish community and the Muslim community. I'm going to, and he, you get a lot, they get a lot of headway out of, well, there are many innocent Muslims who didn't have anything to do with this. I mean, it seems, it seems like almost, I guess, so what, you're, so what you're saying, you're choosing him was concocted, was contrived, was in order to grow. I, I'm feeling lost in what I'm even asking you, but I mean, how does this end up helping the jihadist movement that they pick some guy like this? Because they isolate uh, Malik Faisal Akram as a crazy uh, fringe okay. fundamentalist radical. Yet we've been here with you for years. The Islamic uh you know, center of South Lake and the Islamic Center of Colleyville, uh, the IAMC and the, uh, you know, East Plano Mosque and all these other people that are, uh, you know, the, the CARE chapters, the Muslim Student Association chapters, the Islamic Circle of North America right here in this whole DFW area, many chapters, uh, Muslim American Society, U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations, Muslim Public Affairs Council. These are all jihadi organizations. And because they wear suits, and they stand in front of a camera and say, oh, we really, we just take them at their word. Well, if you actually read what it is they're doing and what they say their purpose is, they're lying. Those guys in front of the camera from the Islamic Center of South Lake were lying right into the camera. Why don't you go look at, why don't, I'd love to see Texas DPS, because you already have probable cause, uh, do a search warrant of the Islamic Center of South Lake and read the books that they're teaching their children. Jihad, it says right in the book, Anyone who dies in jihad automatically goes to paradise. That's a quote. This is another quote. The duty of Muslim citizens is to be loyal to the Islamic State. The basis of the legal and political system is the Sharia of Allah. That's what they're teaching. That's what they're doing. And that's what these things... America is really good when we go into battle with tanks and planes and, and artillery and infantry ground troops. This is asymmetric warfare. This is total political warfare. And... Uh, you probably can't name 10 people in the Pentagon that could explain this to you. That's how bad this is. Okay. One thing I know from past conversations and things I've read too is that a, a, a core thing in Islam is you cannot ever insult the prophet. You can't criticize Muhammad. You can't. And, and any person who does that, this they would like that to be the rule for everyone. And so there's a... Um, there's an effort in Washington. Uh, I want to turn around to this Republican, this bill that got through the House. It was um, because of some comment that, uh, or the excuse was some comment that Lauren Boebert made. But this bill got through the House, essentially saying you got to defend uh, this bill is, and pass a party line vote. Democrats voted for it in the House to say, essentially, we're going to take action to stop Islamophobia in America. Is that part of this this uh, jihadist effort, that bill to pass to, to say we're going to fight Islamophobia? Yes. Yeah, so the, as I said in the article that I published right after this event, 
Islamophobia, that whole campaign, uh, is one of those things that softens the ground uh, in, this, in this effort. Uh, the core strategy center for the Muslim Brotherhood is a group called the International Institute for Islamic Thought, which is located in Northern Virginia. And the guy who runs it, uh, Hisham al-Talib, is an old school Muslim Brotherhood guy, been here for 50 years probably now. Um, and uh, that was their creation. They, they looked at how the term homophobia was used to advance homosexual uh, agenda um, in, in the United States. So they said, we're going to use Islamophobia. This was in the late 90s. We're going to use Islamophobia to actually advance the Islamic law of slander, which, as you just said, means, and the law literally reads, you cannot say anything about Islam that a uh, a Muslim would quote dislike. That's the legal language. So it doesn't matter whether it's dislike. Okay. Yeah, doesn't matter whether it's true or not. So this bill, oddly enough, almost in its language, uh, almost exactly mirrors the language of the OIC's ten-year plan, uh, written and, and published in 2005. Now the OIC is an international organization, largest voting bloc in the UN, but it's essentially every organization Muslim of Islamic countries. Organization of Islamic Cooperation used to be Organization of Islamic Conference. It's every Muslim nation on earth at the head of state level has published the Cairo Declaration on Human Rights in Islam, which says when we, the Muslim world, use the phrase human rights, we mean the imposition of Sharia. And Sharia is the only lens through which we view the world and human rights. So it's a human right in Islam to kill people that leave Islam. It's a human right in Islam to stone people to death for committing adultery. It's a human right in Islam to hang homosexuals. It is a human right in Islam to have sex slaves. It is a human right in Islam to rape women who do not abide by covering themselves and therefore uh, uh, the men just do what they naturally do and it's the woman's fault. So that when you understand that those are the teachings of Islam and that the entire world is on record saying, the entire Muslim world at the head of state level is on record saying, yes, we agree with that. If that doesn't change your perspective on what we're up against, I don't know what will. So Islamophobia in the federal legislation is basically designed to work its way into American law that we will not, that Americans will agree that we won't defame Islam, we won't say things they don't like, because, I mean, it's a, a tactic to call it Islamophobia, but the point is to get America pushed down the path of what Sharia would require us to say and not say. Right, to impose criminal punishment on people that speak out truthfully about Islam. So what you and I are doing here is in violation of the Islamic law of slander. And so that's we under, now what the new law does so people that have read it and said, well, it doesn't say that. It right. creates an office in the State Department. Right, which is exactly the language that the OIC called for. Create a monitor to begin identifying where the key areas are, and then the next step is to criminal, criminal punishment, criminal deterrent punishments. You know, I was thinking when this was being discussed about this whole Islamophobia idea was being floated and we should have a federal law that addresses this. You know, we have watched Christianity in America become uh, demeaned and limited and can't pray in schools. I mean, all sorts of attacks seem to be in the freedom to practice Christianity. And I was thinking if the Christian uh, contingent in, in, the, in Washington got together and said, we want a new law that says you can't offend Christians, 
be, they would be laughed out of Congress. They were laughed in the newspapers. You can't, we can offend Christians all day long. It is a, the presumption that you would even begin to talk about having any protection in federal law against offending Christians. It, it's so absurd, yet this is based on you can't, you can't offend Islam, Muslims, correct? That's right. It's exactly what it is. It's wild. And by the way, that's a capital crime to offend Islam. Okay, we know we do have, we always promise, I fake this audience out every week at tell my leave time for questions, and I kind of do, but I kind of don't. So I'm going to do this while we have a microphone circulating, because I think this topic is so deep and so complex, and I think you are a fabulous expert, but I want to try to summarize what we said and, and see if we can at least either agree or you can correct. One is, what Islam teaches is a core Islam from the time of Muhammad, in the Quran, in the other various uh, agreed upon uh, writings, is the sum total of Islam includes what emerges as Sharia, Islamic law. It's not, a, it's not a book called Sharia, but it is an agreement over time what Sharia is. Sharia is the core of Islamic law that t touches every aspect of human life, every aspect of human life. Uh, and jihad, holy war, in order to spread Islam is required. Jihad is, whether you do it Physically, whether it's a violent war, whether it's culture war, you are a duty. You have a duty as a devout Muslim to engage in jihad to sh to spread Islam, and that includes to spread the expectation of compliance with Sharia. I'm gonna stop there. But I, have, I have like seven points written. So yes. That so in short, yes. And the only clarifying thing I'll say is Sharia spe uh, specifically mandates under what conditions. Uh, how you respond in jihad, and I'll just leave it at that. But yes, you're right. So in, in other words, uh, if there's a caliph, which right now there is not a caliph. Yeah, like a if, caliphate, guy runs a caliphate. Right, yeah. he runs a caliphate. Uh, then you can do offensive uh, jihad into new territory, and there are things like that. If non-Muslim forces enter Muslim lands, then every Muslim in the area is required to take up arms and fight. So there are different uh, ways that that is implemented in different situations, but jihad is a permanent obligation for all Muslims for all times based on what they're capable of doing in order to impose the law's divine law, yes. And some element of this, what you're describing now, as it just sounds ancient. It sounds like something someone would have taught at the founding of a faith and the, the world's population was, you know, a, a, I don't even know what the proportion would be, but minute compared to today's population. But the same teaching you're describing, you just were describing, is still taught in Islamic schools around the world today, the same duty as was as is found because it's obviously preposterous sign to most people how I mean I think they say there's no one who could possibly think that we're gonna they're gonna take over the world for Islam for Sharia but yet that is the core eventual expectation even today, yeah, today. they've taken over uh, I would argue they've nearly taken over, have taken over countries in Europe, and they have uh, areas in the United States that they certainly have heavy control on. And I'll, I'll go back to something you said earlier, and this is kind of to nail the point and move on. Muhammad in the Quran is described as the most perfect character, the beautiful pattern of conduct for Muslims to follow. He is the perfect example for all Muslims for all times. And he said... You must, you know, I've been commanded to wage war against the non-Muslims until they testify there's no God but Allah. When you see that, and he 
uh, condoned sex slavery and uh, killing those that leave Islam. He condoned torturing people. He condoned all these things, which is also in the Quran. That's why the scholars had no choice but to say, yeah, this is what it is. Because and we you are can't question him. Right. And question to question something Muhammad did or said is a capital crime. Okay, and then uh, with respect to where we are today in America and around the world, because you always hear the answer, in fact, the defense of this legislation in Washington was, well, we've got to do something to leap to the defense of all these innocent Muslims who would never engage this kind of conduct because this incident, uh, Lauren Boebert's words, which were, you know, smart aleck, but anyway, you know, her words and other things that happen it may cause people to turn against the many, many innocent Muslims who would never do this. So we're trying to protect them. That is the justification for various uh, mm. proposed laws. And maybe even this one in Washington, well, you got to protect the innocent Muslims. So to be really clear, you're not saying that every single Muslim in the world would jump on do jihad tomorrow. You're saying this is what Islam teaches and what is taught in the in, and is today as is, was taught at the time of the founding. I'm getting at the point there are you, you were saying earlier people will say well I know I know so and so she's a really nice person and she's Muslim she wouldn't do this that could be that, that could be true that she wouldn't and wouldn't even condone it right. but that but she's not following what Islam teaches then. Right. Okay so alright. That's so, it. It's that simple and the fact is uh, as I tell people at Understand Threat we have a standing offer if you can name a book of Islamic law or a book that's used authoritatively to teach Muslims in an Islamic school that has a different version than what we've been talking about, I'd love to know the name of it. Any century, any country, any continent. And uh, so far, nobody's been able to turn up one. If you go to the mosque bookstore and buy 20 books that on Islamic law, they all say the exact same thing. We're out of time for our radio listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Okay, I missed the deadline. That I hope. Anyway, if you're still listening on the radio, thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Back to our online listeners. So, um, I want to let our audience get to questions in a moment, but <laughs> this is. But I, I swear, yeah. <laughs> you don't get too don't get too excited about that. No, I, I do want you to. But um, I do really think it's important, though, for you know people who want to make progress on, on these kind of issues to say, okay, what you say, everything you're saying is true. But in America, we have millions of Muslims living here, and, and and some segment of them would never engage in the violence that we watch around the world. So, what do we do as a country? to try to counter this, because Islam cannot be reformed from within. I mean, it sounds like. So what, what do we do? Well, I think if you uh, address it legally first, that would be a nice step. So we can identify thousands of organizations, Islamic organizations in the United States, who are conspiring to overthrow the U.S. government, who are materially supporting terrorism, who are uh, conspiring to murder, uh, that are uh, financially supporting uh, terrorism, uh, committing counterintelligence and espionage violations. Uh, so let's start there. And that would allow us to shut down the uh, eight or 900 Muslim Student Association chapters, which are on every major college campus in the United States. You could shut down all the Muslim American Society uh, chapters, the, the CARE chapters. You could shut down the USCMO, the Muslim Public Affairs Council. You could shut down the Islamic Society of North America and their 360 uh, chapters. You could shut down of the 34, 3,500 mosques in America. You should probably shut down oh, at least 2,000 of them legally. Uh, so that would be a good start. So addressing the network, uh, 
dealing, arresting, and then deal, figuring out how you're going to deal with uh, the leadership of this movement, at least the top three or 400 people, uh, and dealing with them for conspiring to overthrow the government in actually a real uh, revolution uh, to overthrow the government. I think that would be that would be a good start. Now, if you're holding your breath, waiting for the federal government to do it, that's uh, not going to happen. That's literally, if the federal government were doing their job and state governments were doing their job, I would not be doing this job. I would be off doing something else. Um, I created understanding the threat because it's because after I created the first training program in the government to teach people about this and how to deal with it. Uh, I saw that it's just gotten worse. And so the work we do is we literally go into communities and train patriots and law enforcement when they'll do it and local elected officials how to identify these networks and the communist networks, by the way, how to flush them out of the community using all kinds of techniques and tactics and to reestablish the Republican form of government at the county level. That's how you do this. And I, the last thing I'll say about the answer to that is I strongly, as strongly as I can, encourage people, stop wasting time trying to fix the federal government. Focus on taking back your county and the adjacent counties. Build a stronghold by flushing the bad guys out, reestablishing a Republican form of government. You create a stronghold in your state and then start expanding from there. That's how we're going to win this war. And we're at the point, if we are not doing this more rapidly than we than you are right this second, uh, it's going to be a very tough uphill slug. You know, we need about three hours because I wish you'd had time to talk to about the jihadi network. You've used that expression, and, I, and, um, and we can't do that. I do want to allow, if anyone has a question, um, we have a microphone. Uh, Sandy, somebody. Okay. I, I think you may have just answered my question, actually. But I was going to say, does anyone in the FBI or in law enforcement uh, go along with any of what we're talking about? Uh, sure, but not officially. I mean, uh, uh, like I'll give you an example. The, from all the people I know in the FBI, they say the SAC of Dallas is a good guy, was a good case agent. And you saw what he did. You know, here, here's a guy who's a Muslim inside a synagogue on the Sabbath during service taking hostages. And he said, well, it has nothing to do with the fact they're Jewish. Um, I'm sorry, you said what? He said it had nothing to do with the fact that this was a Jewish synagogue. He was just randomly taking hostages somewhere because he wanted to prove a point to free Fia Siddiqui. That's, not the, that's the gross lack of understanding. Inside the government, their understanding of this problem is exactly opposite of what it actually is. And that's intentional because who are the people advising FBI, CIA, State Department, National Security Staff, uh, DHS? So all the, all the leaders of the organizations I just named. Someone that right here is one in the front. Oh, go ahead. I uh, heard a report uh, this morning that of all the countries in the world that are having persecution of Christians, that Afghanistan now tops the list above uh, North Korea and China. And they're doing the very same thing to women that you're talking about. That's right. And... Um why? I don't know if you remember one of the videos we made. We took that clip from CNN where the CNN reporter was asking, you know, she was uh, kind of falling all over herself, gloating like, well, aren't you, you know, will women make a prominent position in your new government? And the guy literally bellied over laughing. The, sh the Taliban spokesman, the leader of the Taliban. And he's like, stop the cameras.
He couldn't help it because he's like, how stupid are you people? We just, I just said, we will do all these things so long as they comport with Sharia. I just answered that question. She turns around. So will women be in the cabinet? No. <laughs> well, what is wrong with you? No, no. We are going to kill people that help the infidels because that's what Sharia requires. We, of course, will kill these. People. We have to. Do you understand that when you know this is true? If you're a Sharia adherent Muslim and you know that that person did that, if you don't do that, you're subject to capital punishment. This is how the system works. And so I will just tell you this. If there's one thing I can tell you about these people, this movement, and I've said this publicly before, so this isn't any breaking news, but I have a degree of respect for these people because they have a doctrine they believe in and they're following it. I have a hard time finding very few Americans that have something that most people I talk to, they don't even know what they believe in. So this is, of course, Sharia is evil and it's barbaric. But it's serious. And they are these guys, like I came over and I was listening to this, you know, conservative radio show right before I got here. And the guy's calling uh, Malik Akram, you know, crazy. He's a lunatic. He's a radical fundamentalist. Again, the I don't guy who know. took over this, the, the, the guy who took over the synagogue, the jihadi. And um, no, he's not. They, they're very sincere. And then we, we miss that in all this noise yeah it is that show me when they're wrong i mean very rarely do you have somebody who actually does something wrong the orlando guy what he did lawful and according to islam he'll go to paradise for what he did yeah we've talked about this many times and I, I, one more we have one more question coming and then we got to rock and roll at the end but uh it was really after 9 11 happened in america there were, I mean, I'm going to say 99.9% of Americans really had no understanding why it happened. And we got off, you know, guilt tripping ourselves about some historic thing that occurred. But after that time, as people began studying more and more, and the, the uh, jihadist attacks really uh, escalated around the world, Western Europe and all that, people who dove in, and, and I remember the first time you said it to me was years ago, people who commit jihad and, and do these kind of acts, they are not, as the government tried to say, they're not deviating from Islam, they're not contorting their faith, they're following exactly what it teaches. And once that fact gels, it makes everything else make much more sense. The, the only thing that's radical about the jihadists is they're radically right. Radically right. Okay, one more question in the front row. Thank you for having uh, Mr. Grandola speak on HR 5665. Um, if I could uh, tell your listeners, several colleagues and I are working against this. It's in the uh, Foreign Relations Committee, and I've been told don't plan on the Senate fighting this. You need to call your senators and have your friends in other states call your senators and defeat this on committee. I just want to leave an action item since we talked about that bill, and thank you for letting me do that. Thank you so very much, folks. We are past time, as happens. I know my producer sits in the back while I'm doing this show, and I think he probably just grins every time I say this. We went a little over time today, but we don't have anyone else who's going to use the studio today. So first, please help me thank John Gondola for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I also want to thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show to talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
talk. Truth about America. Can you-